Welcome back to the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. I'm your host, Renee Erdman. I'm a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant in North Vancouver, BC, Canada, and I own Bravo Dog. Thanks for joining us today. We are talking about what influences quality of life. And my guest, Ramsey Blaze, joins us from Dallas, Texas, and she's an amazing humane care advocate. So I hope you enjoy this episode and dig in. Welcome, Ramsey. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're able to join me this morning on the podcast. I would love for you to do a quick introduction to the audience so that they know who you are, and then we'll get into our discussion today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Renee. My name is Ramsey Timmons. I own a pet care providing service here in Dallas, Texas. Um, I have a degree in animal science. I'm fear-free certified professional. I work with several organizations just to promote a healthy lifestyle for our animals. 17 years of professional handling experience. I started out with the USDA. So I might know a little something, something about some some animal care. And I'm grateful (laughs) to be here today. That's amazing. 17 years is a long time. You, you're a survivor too. <laughs> I got started at the age of 15. So uh, I feel very lucky and blessed that I, I knew some really amazing mentors at a young age and have always had implementation of animal welfare and had that, that key verbiage in the back of my head guiding this roadmap all these years. So it's, I feel very lucky. I was going to say, yeah, you really sort of found the right path at the very beginning, which not everybody is that blessed. I think, you know, we sort of all start at different points. Um, I know for myself, I started in veterinary uh, care and I was going to be a tech and then I got into dog walking and yeah, then it, you know, you really, it, there's definitely not a linear path <laughs> when you're working with pets, you start at one point and then you end up at another. So So tell me a little bit about, um, today we're going to talk about uh, quality of life and what determines whether an animal has good quality of life or poor quality of life. Um, And I'm sure, Ramsey, you see quite often um, varying degrees of that, Um, though I know that, you know, when people are hiring a um, a really good pet care professional, they they care about their pet. So... um, uh, you're probably noticing more subtle signs of quality of life declining. Is that, uh, is that what you typically see? And how do you recognize that? Yes. So you are accurate. So the people that are calling in pet professionals are not the dog fighters with chained up animals living in the most worst inhumane conditions. Um, you know, that's for another, um, that's not what I'm seeing. You, you are correct. I'm seeing a gradual decline, maybe a small area of improvement um, of just basically what any busy owner can overlook, because guess what? They're not us. They're not pet professionals. They might not have the trained observation eye and critical thinking behind a basic small need that can make such a great implementation in aiding to quality of life. Right. And, um, you know, you, I, I see um, a quality of life issue myself when I go into um, discuss training methods or, um, you know, how 
how folks are trying to change behavior. Um, I think that it, you know, whether you're a dog trainer, you are um, working with pets in any capacity, you are essentially teaching them or training them. So we all have um, some, some form of impact um, when we are spending time with our clients. So what, what do you see in terms of your day-to-day that needs to improve um, typically in, in most clients? What, what are some things that people can do to, to make improvements so their pets are happier? That's a great question. So the, the the definition of quality of life is it refers to the total well-being of an individual animal taking into account the physical, social, and emotional components of their life. So that's kind of where it funnels down to of physical, social, and emotional, um, respecting their well-being. And the seven pillars that I run through of quality of life is hurt, hunger, hydration, happiness, hunger. Did I already say that one? Hurt. Uh, it's sorry. There's five H's. <laughs> hurt, hunger, hydration, happiness, hygiene, mobility, more good days than bad. So if I can run through that, the minute I walk through the door, I'm looking for those things. Is the animal hurting? Yes or no? Is the um, animal have uh, access to water for hydration? Yes or no? And that, and, and I just want to also be very clear, these can break, these all break down into more dissectable pieces. But when I walk in the home through trained observation, this is what I'm running through. Um, I check to see if they're happy. Are they excited to see me? Or are they just kind of in the corner looking at me? What What's their, um, um, try and go off of, are they happy with their emotional state? Um, their hygiene, what do they look like? How's their coat look? Um, is there any discharge, drainage? Um, looking on the grimace of the face, how are the ears? Looking at the overall body condition. Um, hunger, again, did they eat this morning? Is their food still in their bowl from breakfast? Um, telling me whether they ate or not. Um, and also the condition of the eating area. So is the bowl clean, dirty, are there crumbs around? Um, this has never happened, but also, you know, are there, are there roaches, are there rodents? What's going on? I wanna ensure that the cleanliness and, and all that good stuff. Um, mobility, so are they, how's their gait? Um, I watch them walk, does it look good? Are they limping, is anything off? And then more good days than bad. So a lot of times I'll, I'll do this more in end of life cases and were they willing to take their medication that day? Um, were they engaged and interested in me? Um, how were they doing? Like uh, if there was cognitive dysfunction, uh, did, did they get stuck in a corner? So it, it's so, dissectable there's constant moving parts i wish my job was as easy as walking in walking and leaving unfortunately it's not that simple and especially whenever we take into consideration our ethical obligation as pet professionals to almost serve as a social worker to ensure proper quality of life so I hope that was a long-winded answer, but did that did that get out basically what I look for? And this all happens within the first basically two minutes of me walking in the door of that's what I run through. Yeah, I think that those are such great guidelines that have been developed. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it, it also comes down to communication with your client and um, asking questions, I'm sure, you know, is, is asking, you know, changes in behavior and, um, 
yeah, so I, I do think that we have an ethical responsibility um, as pet professionals to um, monitor that and help our clients. Um, because sometimes I think that, you know, when you're in it, when you're living, it's just like living with a, a spouse or, you know, you may not notice these subtle changes, these gradual changes. And so sometimes an outside perspective can really help to give you some insight. Yes, the boiling so, frog syndrome, I believe it's what it's called, is if you toss a frog into boiling hot water, it's going to react versus if you put the frog in the water and then you slowly warm it up, it, you're not going to notice. And I don't mean to use such a, uh, that wasn't the best, um, but it, it's a, it's a wives tale, uh, you know, but to, back to that, you're not going, or um, weight gain. You're not going to notice weight gain or weight loss because you're living it every day. It's always that friend that sees your animal six months later and they're like, oh my gosh, Fluffy looks great. What have you been doing? Um, so yes, you, you are correct. You don't notice the day to day. Um, it takes an outside um, approach when to recognize things. And I'm not looking to, to make owners feel like they've neglected. I'm here to help ensure that the animal is living the best quality of life that they can possibly live. So sometimes, um, you know, I'm able to address while I'm there what's going on. And sometimes it does take a little bit of mental noting to maybe brainstorm with a trusted mentor of, the situation and, and where we can come out with great solutions um, that are going to aid in quality of life with the least judgment possibly passed upon the owner. Because um, I, I don't think, I think owners know what they know and what's available and what they are digesting. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's choice, just like we have a choice to watch 40 different channels on the TV. Um, there are thousands of choices, especially in the pet industry of who they want to listen to what what they want to do. And so we need to find um, good communication, like you said, ways to communicate to owners where we see available improvements in quality of life with the least amount of judgment passed. Uh, yeah, that's a, such a great point. And you know, if you, if you are a pet care professional in any capacity, I would really encourage you to, if you don't have this set up already is to develop a, a professional network, um, in which you can, uh, refer clients to, you can work together as a team. Um, it takes a village to raise a dog is what I often say, because a lot of times when I'm working with a client, I'm also, um, seeking out, a uh, dog walker that might be really, really savvy in behavior issues, maybe a veterinarian that um, is also sav savvy in behavior issues or a vet behaviorist, um, and also uh, a place for a dog to perhaps go for boarding. So there's all these moving parts and um, we, we have the best chance to give dogs and any pet the best quality of life by providing the best care. So it, it really helps to have that kind of a network um, so that's usually what I suggest that any pet professional does. Yes. Do you have, I was going to ask if you have that yourself where you are, Ramsey. Yes. So yes and no. So I do my best as it's almost like the reverse. Usually like you're, you're a behavior consultant. So you're more, um, 
up the totem pole in a sense of control for that, uh, more authority, I would say. Um, not that I don't have the authority, but I'm coming from a different angle of I'm a pet care provider and I constantly seek out all the people that can help animals that I come into contact with to ensure not only quality of life for them, but handler safety. Um, I would not want to refer someone that might um, utilize tactics to cause behavior fallout because guess who it's going to fall out on? Me. Yeah. I'm a handler. I'm just part of the team. What you just mentioned is the village. I'm just a small part of the village team. And so, yes, having veterinarians. So I do have veterinarians. Um, I do have one behavior consultant that I have worked with. I have another one that I have been needing to meet to make sure that it's a good fit. I think it is gonna be a good fit um, to refer them to. And then I would like to find a boarding facility for, but it gets iffy with the um, behavior uh, cases because a lot of, you know, some boarding facilities are not properly set up to give enough space for special uh, boarding animals that might need extra space away from the regular uh, uh, population of the animals there. So meaning um, I, I can't think of a boarding facility right off the top of my head that would knowingly take in an aggressive case because of the liability, because there's just not enough space in the facility. Um, so Yes, but having having a great team of network is highly encouraged. Um, I think no one professional can solve it all. Um, veterinarians are great for medical, you know, behavior consultants are great for emotional uh, responses and for training purposes. I think dog trainers are also great for um, training implementation, uh, having dog walkers, pet sitters, and people, again, on the handling team that are also on your same set standard uh, if you believe in, or not believe, if you are set standard, like Lima set standard, fear-free set standard, force-free set standard, um, basic the, the basic humane qualifications, you want to make sure everyone on the team is also that set standard because, uh, you know, and I would honestly like your thought on that as well. Do you agree that everyone on the team should be the same set standard or do you have leniency about that? No, I mean, I, I have anybody that I'm going to refer a client to has to be on the same page with, with methods and equipment and things like that. I can't always, I can't guarantee every single thing and every response from that, that caretaker, but I can do my best. And I think it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard because we can't police each other necessarily, but I can do the best possible to, to say, Hey, you know, they're, they're following these standards. And, and, you know, it's another reason why I really encourage pet, pet professionals to be extremely transparent about tools, equipment, and methods on their website. Um, typically uh, anybody that is working with animals that is what we would designate force free is going to be shouting it from the rooftops. They're not going to be sort of, um, quiet about it because it's a welfare issue and we, and we often feel extremely passionate about it. So, um, that definitely will help make my job easier. If I'm wanting to refer out, I, I need to see transparency on, on websites specifically. Yes. And it's, it's a, it's almost, you're playing, um, 
a game almost in a sense of getting that information to the client before they make their own decisions. Um, I have seen that before where someone with a better social media, a better presence, um, and they get that client, but then I know the tactics are not the same as what I would consider the most humane um, method available. Uh, man, that that really just that that it hurts when it happens. But having yeah. you know your reference list of having multiple. The reason why I brought on another behavior consultant to refer to is because. Um, some people were like, well, she's very expensive and I don't ever want someone thinking that I'm benefiting from, Hey, work with this person because right. of, I want them to be like, work with this person because they have the best qualified academics for like your animal. Like this is the best of the best. If I can, if I can refer a Chanel type esque education academic standard oh my gosh i will um what i don't want is someone that is maybe getting their tactics from tv or no real form of education and when i say that i mean a set standard okay um i get a lot of backlash about that of um you know it's just a piece of paper it's more than just a piece of paper guess what there's an ethical committee that is holding me responsible for handling animals in a certain way. And what I really like about set standard professionals is it keeps us regulated because when you hire someone that has no set standard and they've had deaths at their facilities um, or they've caused injuries, guess what? They're still operating because no one is there to regulate them. And that is what I do not want more of in my industry of animals that I have contact with. So it goes back to, I think, having the village, having lots of references, having referrals. And when you start noticing your client might be getting overwhelmed, for instance, I provide pet care. So I'm not being called in for training plans. I might be training implementing, going back to the humane handler. If I'm there, I'm doing things the set standard way that the behavior consultant has made the plan go, but I'm not there making the plans. Um, I believe that that takes someone that you know knows has better understanding of that and so having a great connection network is going to aid again in the quality of life and helping all the animals that we have um come into contact with us yeah and i mean the, the pet care industry as we know is not regulated it's it's voluntarily those set standards that you're talking about that is a voluntary um thing that um, trainers or, or any um, dog walkers and pet pros are going to adhere to, but but we need to, in my opinion, and I, and I think that um, it's up to us to raise the bar within this unregulated industry um, because it does affect animal welfare. Period. It, I mean, it's it's documented. It's not just me pulling this out of the air. Um, and really, the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because I I observe poor quality of life uh, in my own community and, you know, of course, online when I see a behavior suppression, you know, and that's a gray area where, where folks don't, don't, can't almost, um, it's not that they can't understand, but they may have been led to believe that the animal is just fine. Um, and an, an example of this would be, you know, a, a dog that has reactivity issues and we, we just want to stop the reactivity. So, you know, 
perhaps they've got a shock collar on, they've got um, a prong collar on and they're muzzled. I, and, and that is how they live their life. Um, if the majority of their time on this earth is spent um, experiencing fear, suppression, stress, and anxiety, we have to ask, how is that affecting their quality of life as an organism? Absolutely. And that's a, that's a difficult question. I think all pet professionals, no matter where you got your education, if you are functioning as a professional, meaning you are being paid for your services, you have to ask yourself this question. Am I inflicting harm and hurt? Because we have to remember hurt or pain is on the quality of life scale score. So when, if that's hindering that pillar, you're hindering quality of life, even if it's for a brief second, and I say that in air quotes, a brief second with a shock, okay, you are causing harm. And, uh, you know, and, and when I, when, when I wear, so this is just going back to how I can implement how I'm feeling and relate it to animals without um, giving them uh, anthropomorphic, whatever. I, if I wear my sunglasses with my helmet while I am riding my bicycle, 90% of the time, by the time I'm off my bicycle, I have a headache. I don't know if it's my helmet squeezing on my head, but that's also what I think of whenever I see like um, misused tools. If they're too tight, if they're causing um, restricted breathing or they're wrapped around the face and it's constant pressure tight, it's not like a loose hanging one to where if you pull it tightens. Um, I just have to ask, you know, is that causing pain? And am I willing to utilize those tools just to get a walk versus having communication? And I think that those tools also bring up the question of attachment versus connection. So when I see tools like that, I just see attachment. Like you're attached to me because of these tools. There's nothing keeping you here. I take those tools off. I lose all connection with you because we're just attached where I feel like the humane set standard way of training or modifying behavior or just basic handling has a lot to do with connection and communication. Meaning if I want the animal go from point A to point B, I need to shape a behavior that's gonna get them from point A to point B, like as easy as the touch method, instead of yanking them away, which is something that I see also is a lot of forceful movement from the owners. And I don't think that they're thinking of it as that animal's reading a book right now when they sniff. And I know that you talk about sniffing a lot. It's so important for animals to sniff. Could you imagine like never reading a book in your life? Like you'd be so bored um, allowing your animal to sniff. And this is something, this is probably the most common form of quality of life. Going back to the question you asked at the beginning, what do I see often um, with healthy animals? A lot of times it is pulling away. It's pulling, pulling, pulling because people think, oh, we're on a walk. We got to constantly be moving. We got to constantly be walking. Well, who is the walk for at that point then? Are you trying to burn calories yourself? Because you as a human, if you want to work out, go work out. But this walk needs to be benefiting both of you guys and meet in the middle and just allowing them to sniff, allowing them to um, read the world. Because what they're getting from the sniff is who was there? Are they friend or foe? Was it a boy or girl? What'd they eat? Um, how big are they? Uh, so much information is gathered from just basic breathing. And guess what? You're also mentally exhausting your animal too. So um, I feel like owners, 
again, that maybe aren't necessarily as educated, or maybe they might not have as much patience, just to simply allow their animal to be and sniff. Um, and then they're using these tools, right? So let's go back to the tools. Sorry, I kind of got off subject there. But I just want to paint a scenario for someone is, imagine an animal and all these tools, a muzzle, or um, I sent you a video of the, the mouth bit. I don't know what was in that animal's mouth, but it was reactive to it. Um, there was uh, tools on the animal. And then you're also forcing them past something that's really enriching for them with no communication. It's it's hard to question quality of life. So imagine me and you, we go to Disney World, I have you on a leash and you wanna look at everything. And I'm telling you, don't look and just pulling you around. It's kind of the same thing. Like, would, would you enjoy that? Would you, like, how would you feel if I took you to Disney World and pulled you around and didn't let you look at anything, ride anything, smell anything, nothing? Yeah, and, and it's interesting that when we discuss things like this or have these, conversations that there may be this viewpoint that oh well like why are we getting so in depth about this stuff like you're an extremist or and and that's it, it's just sort of mind-blowing to me that that us thinking and you know these these dogs we gosh we're so lucky to have dogs and they really are a blessing and they put up with a lot from us and I think that the very least we can do for what they give us is to examine the details of their life and what we are doing to either add um, something positive, beneficial to their life, or are we accidentally without knowledge? Um, and that's why we're talking about it today. Are we, are we accidentally creating poor quality of life for them um, and, and just not knowing it? So I know that's sort of a mouthful, but I guess it's, it's just, you know, I do think that we need to be looking at these things deeper. I don't think that we're being extremist by doing so. Not at all. And I do just want to, you know, disclaimer, um, I am a pet professional. I am paid because I am a professional animal caretaker. It is my obligation and duty and my job, quite literally, to stay informed on the most humane set standards of new behavior, medical handling techniques, any of the sort, guess what? I got to read up on it because it's literally my job. So I don't want to, you know, if here's the thing is that if I wasn't a pet professional and I was having these feelings, um, it might be valid for someone to say, wow, you're an extremist. If you're a baker at the bakery and you have all these feelings, great. But yeah, but I'm not, I'm, I'm a paid professional. People seek my, my advice and services because I strive to be very knowledgeable and up-to-date on the newest set standards. So yes, I and, and I don't want anyone to ever feel like, like what they're doing is wrong. It goes back to, are you unknowingly providing inhumane pet care? Because it happens. It, you don't know what you don't know. If you left a baby with me right now, I might put the diaper on backwards because I just don't know. I don't have a baby. Um, I'm not around babies. So think of a pet parent that just gets their first new dog for the companionship. I'm so excited for that, but they might just need a little bit of guidance of, you know, washing bowls every day. If you can at minimum, at least once a week, I would like to see them washed every day. Um, are you washing their toys? Do they have toys? Do they have the right kind of toys? It goes back to being the best at how we can be. So I guess I strive every morning to wake up and be the best professional that I can personally be. 
I'm not here to police other people or to point fingers and say, you need to be doing it this way, you need to be doing it that way. I would rather plant seeds of inspiration and approach the strategy of, if you didn't know that this was thought leadership that existed, it exists and it's here. And if you're interested, please take a peek, try it on like a pair of shoes and maybe you'll like it. Yeah, that's so well said. Um, and I'm so glad that we were talking about this today because we're definitely not, you know, it, there is a, a educational component to what we do. At least I, I feel that that is part of what we do. And it's really important that we do it without um, judging people for, for making certain decisions. And, you know, I, I think that um, when people are open to learning or changing or doing things differently, um, then awesome. And that's the thing is that what, what we're talking about, if you change what you're doing, you're not going to be harming your dog. Like there's just no risk. The risk factor is just, it isn't there in terms of using um, positive reinforcement training methods and equipment that is not shutting down behavior. So, um, and that's just something, you know, I have thoughts all the time. They're swirling through my head when it comes to, to dogs and, yeah. and, you know, it, it's, it, it really is about how can we, um, as we move forward, learn more, do better, and then we have happier dogs, you know? Yes. And just being, you know, mindful of available resources, available um, techniques. What, what's, what's the new set standard? What's the, what's everyone else doing in a sense of the thought leaders? You know, um, I didn't roll out of bed one day and decide I wanted to work with animals. I had to go get proper education. I had to go get handling. I had to get guidance. And even after all these years, I still do it. We have to, we have to stay up on our continued education um, to again, keep the, keep the industry moving and where it's going of what so many before us have already built. So to continue on the foundation and, and really help again with tools, like you said, not, not using tools as much, um, that cause pain. And I'm the same way I have ADD. So my, my head's spinning a million miles a minute all the time, but it just comes back to recognizing where you as a professional can help animals that you have contact with. So it doesn't matter about Joe next door's dog or, um, you know, Ashley down the street or what they're doing in their business. It doesn't matter. It's more about self-regulation and just asking these difficult questions ourselves of, are we unknowingly hindering the pillars of quality of life? Are we hindering anything like hurts? So are, are we hurting them? Um, are we removing resources that might affect hygiene and hunger or uh, hydration and hunger? Are we causing um, hygiene issues? So sometimes um, secluding an animal, um, boredom and other uh, methods that can cause injury and infection that it, that affects hygiene. So um, if there's a tool to where if pressure causes a um, tear or a nick in the skin and that gets infected, that affects hygiene and hurt. Um, mobility. So again, are we allowing the animal to have a choice in what they're doing, where they're going, or are they confined in a very small space? Uh, for a long amount of time. Um, and then what are their days looking like? Are they having more good days than bad? Are you having to utilize um, methods that are hurtful every day? 
well, then the animal's not learning. And that should be a reinforcement of why you shouldn't use those tools. I think anytime you're modifying behavior, there should be some form of gradual improvement of sustainability. And if not, I feel like tactics need to be called into question, just like um, I believe it's the IAABC. Um, before you utilize prong collar, is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you must have a group, so not just one person, you must have a group of board certified members assess the animal and then also assess your own techniques before it can even be utilized. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I believe so. This is, this is a new policy that's um, being installed right now. Um, and so that's, you know, that comes down to Lima using the least intrusive, minimally aversive. And so you go through this um, humane hierarchy. And so that means that you exhaust every single effort possible before you head to using uh, positive punishment, um, yeah. which would, would be some of those tools. So yeah, there is some accountability there. And, and, and I think that organizations that are installing these, um, this type of accountability is, is what we really do need because um, you know whether or not you're saying prong collars or e-collars or shock collars are not in, inhumane. Um, I, you know, if, if there's an organization that's saying you need to go through all of these um, efforts first before you head there, um, I don't see, you know, I don't see any educated person disagreeing would would disagree with that. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to not exhaust all the humane um, well, it's efforts kind of first. Like, you know? Could you imagine getting a paper cut and going to the doctor and they're like, "We got to cut off your hand." Yeah, I was just gonna. Yeah. Say. Let me tell you. Let's go to the dream version. Yeah, we're not gonna use band-aids. We're not gonna clean it. We're not gonna give you ointment or anything. We're just gonna cut it off because it's a so. I guess I want to leave some seeds of inspiration for, um, I know CPDT or CCPDT and IAABC, like anyone I've ever worked with, with those organizations, mwah, chef kiss, Cassie, Karen Pryor, mwah. So this seed of inspiration is more for someone um, that might not have access to those or have not taken that. And a lot of people that don't are like pet sitters, dog walkers, groomers. But if you're handling an animal with a prong collar or a shock collar, there's two basic moves that I ask the owner. I'm like, hey, do they know how to touch or watch me? The two basic, I mean, I feel like those are the basic fundamentals of shape building, touch and watch me. If that animal doesn't know how to do either one of those, yet there's a prong collar or another aversive method tool on that animal, it's going back to, did we just amputate an arm for a paper cut? Mm. Because we mm. could have shaped work through basic touch to get them to move from point A to point B. And you know, if your animal is over sniffing and sniff, 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 guess what? If you've reinforced that touch well enough and you ask them to touch, they're going to choose. We're giving them a behavior choice instead of pulling. We're giving them a choice to walk away from that sniff to your hand and it will happen. Now, might not happen immediately. You might have to give it 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. But at some point that animal is going to say, you know what? If I go touch her hand right now, I'm going to get a nice treat. 
or I can continue sniffing this. You know what? A treat sounds nice. And they're going to go over there. They're going to touch my hand. So, um, so, so yes. So, so two basic behaviors I think people can, can ask is, you know, is this tool really good for this animal? And you haven't implemented these other uh, structure ways of thinking and communication because we want to communicate the best we can. Um, and you're using a tool like that. Then I have to ask, you know, did we give the animal a, a choice? Did we give them a chance? Mm -hmm. You're dropping some really great knowledge bombs today. I got to say, <laughs> I'm so grateful. Yeah, no, I think that it, it, I'm hoping that this gives um, some folks out there some pause and, you know, slow down and, and to think about some of the things that we're saying today, you know, we're not perfect. We're not coming up here um, saying that we are, but we, we really genuinely um, want the best for your, your pet. And, uh, you know, we're definitely not doing it for the money. <laughs> um, and we want the best, we want the best for you because you impact your, your animal's quality of life greatly. So, um, we're doing this for you is, is the bottom line. Um, so Ramsey, before we wrap things up, did you have anything else that you wanted to add, um, share any resources or your social media? Oh my gosh, so much I want to share. Um, just real quick, you know, like you just said, we're not perfect. We can, we all have areas where we can improve and it just takes the simple um, waking up in the morning and asking yourself, how can I be the best pet professional for my animals today? And asking yourself the questions, if there's anything else I can do differently to add to quality of life, to ensure that I'm not deducting from quality of life? Those are great questions to ask yourself. Um, I think if you are dealing with any sort of questionable um, things that you're witnessing, uh, you know, you might be showing up to empty food and water bowls. You might uh, notice something that you are uncomfortable with instruction-wise. You might've been left with instructions to utilize tools that you're not comfortable with. Um, it is okay to mental note those and discuss with trusted mentors ways to shimmy around that and come out with a positive solution that's going to aid the quality of life for animals. Um, and there was one other thing I wanted to touch base on and I can't, it, it kind of flew out of my head, but hopefully this isn't our last discussion about this. I would love to have more seed of inspirations discussions for, um, for, for all pet professionals, if, if people are interested in that, but just start asking yourself, you know, quality of life and it's okay to almost serve as a social worker, um, no matter what you do in this industry and just have eyes. That's what I was going to say. Scratch that. I have one more thing to say. Um, <laughs> so I'm an animal lover and I think that it is very important if you do see anything concerning to where you note that that animal might have an emotional response and you notice that maybe tactics they're utilizing are not gonna help that animal, you do want to try as best you can to stay in contact and point, turn into a resource referral guide and point them in the right direction of professionals that can handle in a humane way that's going to respect their emotional needs. So that is, that's the last thing I wanna to say to people is stay in contact with those animals because sometimes you might be the only trained eye on the animal 
And I would rather have a trained eye on the animal than to not have anyone on the animal and, and, and go from there, go from there. Um, but have, have peace with yourself, um, with, with clients like that, hopefully, you know, that's not very, uh, common, but you know, you never know who might call you. And so having eyes on the animal, um, and, and having trusted sources to talk about cases with, I think is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ramsey. And did you, did you want to point people towards your, I know your social media, your Instagram, you're not like super duper active on it, but in case they had a question or wanted to reach out. Yeah. So at Ramsey blaze Dallas, and, um, you guys can find me on Instagram there. It is a personal page, but, um, I'm here to be a thought leadership. I'm constantly, just reading and evolving. So conversations are my jam. Like you're not going to be able to go to my page and pick my brain from my page. Um, you got to actually have the connection with me. So yes, message me if you have any questions about this. Um, and a lot of my, my thought leadership comes from the American Veterinary Medical Association, um, the American Animal Hospital Association, um, International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, uh, you know, reading those scientific published papers that we get like in our newsletters and stuff, just staying up to date on that. So I don't want people to think that I'm rolling out of bed and coming up with these ideas on my own. Um, I've just read a lot of things, studied a lot of things, and I have around me constantly just new things. And can I, can I also just refer some books really quick for people? Absolutely. Okay, so book club, book club talk. Okay, so um, I'm currently reading a few books. Um, one of them is Animal Kind by Ingrid Newkirk. She is the president of PETA. And it just has some fun, interesting facts um, for Animal Kind and, and it encourages kindness to animals. Um, the next two are by Temple Grandin. If you guys do not know who Dr. Temple Grandin is, she's absolutely amazing thought leadership for animal welfare. Um, animals in translation and animals make us human. Um, these are great reads, I feel like, for owners to better understand animals. Um, it gives us a really good, easily digestible breakdown. Um, really love that. And then these last two books are actually by Jessica Pierce. Jessica Pierce is a doctor in veterinary medicine. She also wrote or co-wrote the set standard with um, the IAAHPC. So she wrote these two books, Run, Spot, Run, The Ethics of Pet Keeping, and The Last Walk. So this is great, I feel like, for all pet professionals, the Run, Spot, Run, and also pet parents. It just really gets us uncomfortable asking about the ethics of pet keeping. Disclaimer, Run, Spot, Run is not for children. Um, there are some difficult chapters in there that are... Um, need emotional maturity for. Um, and then as far as the last walk, I feel like this is going to help every parent um, who might be nearing towards um, a senior dog or geriatric dog. Um, this is going to shed light on just how we can um, help our aging animals age gracefully. So um, these are great thought leadership books that, that I like to read and, and surround myself with um, the content that I absorb. So thank you for letting me share those. 
Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. We definitely will be doing this again. So I hope that folks um, return to the podcast and we will give you advance notice when we're going to do it again. But yeah, thanks so much again, Ramsey, and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you, Renee. Y'all too. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Bravo Dog Knowledge Podcast. We would love your stamp of approval on Apple Podcasts, so head on over and give us a five-star review. And if you'd like to connect with me on social media, you'll find me most of the time on Instagram, which is at Bravo Dog Training. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.